Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Rob Matheson. The US President Joe Biden has ordered 50 million barrels of oil to be released from the country's strategic reserves. He hopes it'll help ease petrol prices and reduce inflation that's hit a 31-year high. Biden's critics say it's a temporary fix, but will that make a difference? Okay, let's bring in our panel of guests. Abi Rajidran is Research Director of Energy Intelligence, and he's joining us from New York. In Bern, Cornelia Meyer is an energy analyst. She's also CEO of Meyer Resource, and Henning Gloystein is Director of Energy, Climate and Resources at Eurasia Group and joins us from London. Thank you all very much indeed for being with us. Abby, going to start with you. How much of this is about cooling down oil prices and how much of this is about President Biden's falling approval ratings? Uh, it's a great question, and it's uh, you know it, it's really about both. Uh, it, uh, by the way, thanks for having me uh, on on today. Um, it, it's really about both, and they're and they're both quite related, right? I think I think the administration is is fighting uh, the messaging and the data around inflation uh, broadly, and certainly with 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 energy and and petroleum products, it's you know it's front and center there. Um, you know, I, I think their, you know, their handling of the economy is, is, is certainly one of the aspects of their polling that, that that comes out weakest, right? So, so I think I think there's certainly a targeted uh, plan to address that, and yeah, and certainly, you know, lowering oil prices is the goal, right? We're we're just about to, you know, go into Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I'm just about to hit the road myself in an hour. Uh, you know, followed by, you know, we'll have the holidays coming up later in December. Um, there's going to be a lot of mobility, a lot of travel coming up here in the U.S. And, and, and you know, wanting to lower the price of the pump is, is certainly a key priority. So um, it, it goes hand in hand for sure. Um, you know, I think I think the you know, we'll probably get to it later in the conversation. I think the, the focus of this is, is, is kind of short term price relief. Um, I think there are some some medium-term consequences that are going to come as a result. Cornelia, the UAE energy minister is being reported to have said he sees no logic in the UAE putting more oil into the market because there's predicted to be, if I understand it correctly, uh, a surplus at the start, at least in the first quarter of, of next year. I understand that OPEC Plus is due to meet in the early part of December. How do you think it's going to react to this? Well, OPEC Plus will sort of have to regather on this and they will not react much. I mean, they will, for December, it's all done because they have um, over time released 400,000 barrels a day um, uh, for, for um, and this is scheduled, this, this increase is scheduled to go on through April. So they might just reduce that a little bit, but OPEC does foresee for the whole of 2022 actually quite a significant significant um, supply um, overhang, which um, the EIA, the American um, Energy Agency and the International Energy Agency out of Paris also foresee, especially for the first quarter, as supply overhang, but not as dramatic. For OPEC, it's in the million plus barrels a day. For the others, it's in the hundred to two, three hundred thousand barrels a day. So, so there is a divergence of how people look at it, but it is pretty clear that next year, certainly in January, we will see a supply overhang. Henning, as Abby was explaining, um, it seems as though it would be easy to assume that this was just a US issue and uh, dealing with um, the prices there and also uh, the, the falling approval ratings of the president there. Why have other countries joined in with this? 
thanks. Um, thanks for the invitation as well. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, the participation of other countries so far is is symbolic at best. Uh, so India's uh, so far committed 5 million barrels, the UK, South Korea, Japan haven't really said how much yet. China's been doing this independently anyway. But in the case of India, Japan, uh, South Korea, and of course, Britain, uh, it is uh, almost certainly political support uh, with the United States and China. I mean, Japan and South Korea are strategic allies uh, for whom the, the US is is the most important partner, and Britain, now uh, freshly out of the EU, uh, also seeks closer relationships with the United States. So this is this is a symbolic um, um, joining for them, more than actual additions of supply. None of them will bring anywhere near as much uh, oil to the market as the US have done. And this shows that it's largely, um, as was said earlier on the uh, program, a domestic uh, uh, effort to, to reduce pump prices in the US um, rather than, uh, than globally. Mm. Cornelia, you mentioned before the, the, the International Energy Authority and its uh, position in this. If I understand it correctly, it's got a rule that says countries cannot release strategic oil reserves for anything other than crisis situations, as we sort of alluded to before. But its rules also say that the IEA can't get involved if it might affect market prices. One kind of begs the question, what is the point of the IEA in a situation like this? Well, the IEA is the is the is the agency of the of the OECD countries, and um, yes, there are the rules. But then America is the five hundred pound gorilla in the room, so the five hundred pound gorilla may choose to do other things. And um, you know, the question is, how do you define a crisis? I think for for President Biden, this was a crisis. Uh, he has tried several times to entice OPEC plus to to um, to um, uh, lift more barrels. And they have, um, in my view, rightfully said, no, we will not do that. We will not be beholden to, to US pressure. So, so, so the question is, what is, what is, what constitutes a, what constitutes a, what constitutes a crisis? And the, the Biden administration does not just look at it from, oh, we need petrol, I mean, we need the prices of petrol at the pump to go down. That will have a time lag, as Biden said himself. They also look at it, they're worried about the inflationary pressure and inflation can be considered an economic crisis. Dabi, mm. you were talking about the timeline of this earlier on, but um, as Cornelia was saying, was just referring to there, the president himself admits that this is not going to happen immediately. Um, is this actually worth doing, given the fact that the response or the reaction, if you like, isn't going to be as quick as one would imagine the Biden administration would like it to be leading up to holiday season? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, you know, I think I think they they were effectively compelled to uh, look like they were going to do they look like like they were going to do something, right? Um, I think I think ultimately that's that's what it came down to. Um, you know, it was mentioned earlier that the contributions from India, from Japan, from South Korea, UK are you know just just drops in the bucket in terms of what actual volume they're actually going to add to the market. Um, you know what's what's interesting is is the U.S. announcement itself um, is also fairly small. Uh, you know it's it's 50 million barrels, right? Of which 18 million barrels will be accelerated, um, you know, pre-approved sales. It basically just brought forward. Um, but the remaining 32 million barrels are in exchange, so they have to be replaced. Um, you know, or, over time, uh, depending on who, who takes it out. 
Um, so, you know, the, the actual amount is, is, is fairly small. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's going to be phased over the next several months. Um, I mean, the U.S. consumes over 20 million barrels a day of oil per day. Um, so an overall 50 million barrel, you know, release is, you know, is, is, is fairly marginal. You know, I think, they, you know, they felt compelled to look like they were doing something. Um, you know, the, the actual impact um, is going to be, uh, you know, fairly limited. Um, you know, the one thing I would note, though, is, you know, if you, if you just kind of look back, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, oil prices were, you know, at least for Brent, you know, heading towards 90. So just the, you know, the, the talk out, out there in the market of, uh, of the fact that there was going to be an SPR release, uh, a coordinated one, um, has cooled prices off. Um, however, you know, what was actually announced yesterday you know, from, from all the different countries yeah, it was fairly underwhelming, right? It, it, it's hard to say exactly what the, the market quote unquote expected. You know, some have said 100 million barrel release, some have said a little bit more is what would have been needed to actually get prices to go down. Um, obviously, the, the actual amount was, was fairly underwhelming. Um, but again, the, the, it did have some effect. Um, but, you know, in terms of the actual, you know, barrel impact, it's going to be fairly limited. So, you know, it was, it was kind of more of a, you know, a, a, you know, an announcement for the sake of making an announcement. Mm. Um, the actual thing is going to be fairly negligible. Yeah, I know both Cornelia and, and Henning want to make points here. Cornelia, I'm going to come to you first. Henning, I'll come to you next. Cornelia. Well, I think, yes, it is fairly small uh, compared to 600 million barrels a day, but it's, it's, it's the largest ever release of SPRs that the U.S. has undertaken. Let us not forget, during the first Gulf War in 1991, they only released 17 million barrels a day. When Libya came asunder um, in 2011, they released 30 million barrels a day. So in that context, it's quite a bit. And um, um, Ravi is, is absolutely right in terms of the, the oil price came down about 8% since the talk of the, the release of strategic reserves and then it came up but yesterday it rose and to me that is a classic in stock markets you have this buy on the rumor and sell on the fact and that was a classic classic event mm. like this Henning you wanted to make a point sure it just follows up a little bit uh, so I, I disagree slightly with one thing here so and uh, the Biden administration clearly wanted to bring this headline out there 50 million barrels but it is not 50 million barrels per day it is 50 million barrels over the stretch of four months, which is far less. And we don't know whether uh, all these 50 million barrels will be released. The two tranches are separated. As, as was said, one of them is in a loan. The other one was already announced and approved back in 2018. So if you look at the nitty gritty, it's actually less. And it's actually less than was, for instance, the 2011 release, which was 30 million barrels over a month. Uh, so the actual volume is probably a little bit, little bit lower. However, I do fully agree that it was the action that was needed. It, uh, that, and, and it was said earlier that we needed, um, uh, so just threatening on, on uh, announcing this pulled down prices over the last four weeks. Um, but what has happened now um, is indeed that the market said, all right, part of this was already priced in, especially the, um, the smaller tranche that was announced back in 2018 and it's just being pulled forward. But the other part is, of course, uh, that now um, the market is expecting OPEC to, to scratch its head and said, well, does the market really need the 400,000 barrels per day that we've been uh, planning to add? And the answer is probably, or maybe, I mean, I don't really know, that they'll hesitate because, as was said earlier correctly, the, the market is expected to flip into oversupply. And OPEC certainly won't 
doesn't want to add to that because they've just spent one and a half years drawing this these high inventories down and trying to bounce the market again. And this is a problem. The market's being politicized between producers and consumers, and that is bas basically not what the IA was there for. Hence, uh, it shouldn't be used for price influencing. And that's a bit the problem that we see is the politicization of oil markets. Mm, Abby, I think you wanted to come in there. Yeah, you know, just, just one point I wanted to add, uh, which is Cornelia was referring to earlier, you know, around you know, just, just a mismatch in, in, in supply and demand, right? I think I think ultimately what this comes down to is, is the fact that, you know, U.S. domestic, uh, you know, oil slash liquids demand is effectively recovered from COVID already. Um, but but supply still remains you know significantly lower right you know close to two million barrels a day uh, lower uh, especially for for oil um, and 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 I think this is this is sort of the, the the key mismatch that the administration is is sort of dancing around right that's that that is sort of the 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 key mismatch and and, and topic that that's going to be driving. Uh, prices over the you know over the short to medium term, mm. um, you know the the you know obviously there's, there's a focus on the energy transition and, and kind of the longer term you know, shift away from 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 oil consumption, um, but but short term demand is going nowhere. In fact, you know on 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 our numbers we see record U.S. oil demand uh, you know as early as May or June next year, uh, 21 million barrels a day, a number that we've never hit, um, and it's going to go higher from there. Um, and, and simply supply is not you know keeping up at all. Um, and I think I think the fact that demand continues to go higher actually makes the 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 drawdown of the SPR, you know, kind of a a more uh, you know dangerous tool um, when you think about you know where demand could go next summer. I mean, how tight the market could be next summer and beyond. So just wanted to add that in there. Happy to you know throw more color on that. But I think the you know the the short term release is is actually quite short sighted um, in terms of where demand is going to be going um, over the next six to twelve mm. months and beyond. Cornelia, somebody made the point earlier, and I, do, I don't understand how the oil market works, um, and I, you guys do, so I'm relying on you. But um, without wanting to oversimplify too much, one would imagine that if you're going to get rid of what is, if I understand it, what you guys are saying, uh, a, a relatively small amount, comparatively speaking, if, the, if that is going to be released onto the market, that still has to be replaced. And one would imagine that replacing that is going to leave the U.S. and others open to having to buy that, that replacement oil, one would imagine, at a higher cost. And that seems counterproductive. Tell me if that is going to, how that actually works. Well, it may work, but then again, OPEC forecast has forecasted um, a, a really substantial oversupply for the whole of next year. And yes, demand in the US may go up, but but look at what's happening in Europe now. You know, we we are not nobody thinks we're out of the woods with the virus yet. And if you look at the new lockdowns in Europe, if you look at what's what's happening in 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 Asia also with the virus, so you know how quickly. Will will tourism, will international um, air travel really rebound? Where you have a big domestic market, yes, it will rebound. But how much, how quickly will it really, and how sustainably will it rebound over 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 the, the next year? So as long as we're still stuck with with this virus, so. There is that. And then we have one other thing. We have seen that the U.S. shale producers have not really 
upped their production either. They have really, they have not, they have not stepped up um, to the to the challenge, so to speak, because they too are very sort of wary of, um, of of where it's going. So it's nice to have good demand forecasts, but the proof of the pudding there is in the eating. And again, these demand supply forecasts vary so differently between what OPEC sees, what the International Energy Agency sees, and what the US Energy Information Agency sees, that it's really hard to get a a neutral picture of this. Mm. Henning, I want to come back to a point that you were, I think you were making earlier, um, about whether or not the the oil uh, companies are actually going to buy in on any of this uh, this loan or these sales and so on. I mean, President Biden has asked the Federal Trade Commission to immediately investigate whether illegal activity by oil and gas companies is pushing up gas prices. One would imagine that at least some of those companies are going to be the ones that he's going to want to take this oil. Is that going to work counterproductively for him? I mean, I've got no idea whether there was illegal activity in the U.S. oil market, to be honest. Uh, but it is it is an interesting point that, and, and um, perhaps under reported or under notice that, uh, you know, releasing SBRs by the U.S. government isn't just, you know, dumping all this uh, crude oil into some big pool that everyone then gets. Uh, it does need to take, it needs takers. And the first tranche, as we mentioned, um, as we mentioned earlier, is, uh, is a loan. So if you take a loan now that you have to repay in, in a couple of years' time, you are ex- effectively taking a pun, a bet on future oil prices and uh, it depends very much on the conditions um, uh, that this uh, loan uh, will, will be offered at, whether you want it or not. And the uh, second tranche also will be um, put out in an auction or tender. And it just will depend on whether the, the private oil industry uh, mm. figures that's a good deal. Uh, because the, And this is a big difference between uh, the US and, for instance, China, which has also released SPRs over the last couple of months. China, A, isn't part of the International Energy Agency, so they're not bound by this pledge to not influence prices. They're quite open about whether they like prices or not. Uh, and also, um, in China, v- um, the vast majority of oil companies are state-controlled, so the government can just order them what to do. Mm. That is not the case in the US, and that all makes it a little bit more complicated there. Cornelia, I know you wanted to come in here. What, go ahead. I totally agree with Henning, and I just would like to add one one element here. I, I have a little bit of a heart for oil companies here and for oil producers, because on one hand, um, you tell them, or the world tells them, well, you know, fossil fuels, we really have to face you out. On the other hand, one asks them in the medium or in the short term to invest because they're terribly underinvested. If you look last um, this year, it was uh, last year four, uh, 400 um, billion were invested in upstream oil and gas, which is uh, which is about half of what was invested in 2014. Um, so, so they're terribly underinvested. So we ask them to invest to produce, but we say basically you're the dinosaurs. We want to phase you out, and that makes it a little bit difficult you know with all the with all the ESG which we all want to save the planet don't get me wrong we all want to save the planet but with all the ESG um, um, obligations that these companies are facing and the the, the uncertain future and the very uncertain regular regulatory um, um, environment in especially OECD countries it's really a tough spot that they're in. Abby, I know you wanted to come in there. We're getting to about a minute and 15 seconds left on the show. So if I can ask you to be relatively brief about how you uh, want to respond. Sure, I'll be very quick. Uh, just to extend the point on companies, you know, 
the company's CapEx and, and, and spending budgets are controlled by Wall Street, right? Uh, investors are the ones to go look to if you want to increase short-term supply. Um, and that's really where the administration should be uh, you know, making their phone calls if they want companies to produce more. It's not the companies themselves. Um, and then the second point I wanted to make is, you know, you, you'd mentioned it earlier, you know, one of the things that's most closely linked to oil prices um, is uh, is in our inventory levels and, you know, days of forward cover, right, for, for, uh, for, for future demand. Um, demand continues to go up. Yeah, there'll be virus issues over the short term, but as we saw with the Delta variant, they're pretty transient. You know, we see oil demand growth, uh, you know, back to pre-COVID levels in six to nine months. And going out for the next, you know, seven to ten years. Um, and if, if there's not enough supply uh, to keep up with that, it's going to continue to draw down inventories. Um, and if you, the more you draw down inventories, of which, of, of course, SPRs are a part of it, um, you know, the more you put upward pressure on prices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the quick point is this: this is all just sort of setting up for, you know, multi-year, you know, upward pressure on oil prices. Um, even if there's some short-term relief to get through Thanksgiving and Christmas. Abby, thank you very much indeed. We're going to leave it there. And I want to say thanks to all our guests, Abby Ranjidran, Cornelia Meyer, and Henning Goinstein. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. The episode was produced by Gloria Wangelassel, Hamer Akshaudri, and Abdurrahman Warsami. Studio sound was by Sasha Andreevich. The program was edited by Alexander Otasevich, Lynn Imwen, and Judith Fries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening.